Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. And we are going to pick up here on our second episode again with Randy Gray. And we are going to move into our second topic. Last week, we talked about EMDR, and this week, we're going to move into somatic experiencing. Both EMDR and somatic experiencing is trauma work that we can use to help deal with the trauma that we are experiencing in our bodies. And I really appreciated talking with Randy last week and giving us further insight on how this type of therapy is so beneficial. Now, last year we had a guest on that talked about somatic experiencing and her experience as a client, but today we're going to talk with Randy about somatic experiencing from a professional standpoint and help us to understand this modality a little bit more. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to our last episode, I would really encourage you to go back and do that. Randy, tell us a little bit about somatic experiencing and what differentiates this type of therapy to EMDR. Okay, so last time we talked a little bit about EMDR and how EMDR works with the memory networks of the brain. So somatic experiencing, this is a body-oriented approach to healing trauma, and it really focuses on resolving fight, flight, and freeze responses that sometimes get stuck. And it allows us, it allows for the completion of those responses. Uh, and those are the self, self-protective responses. And then it allows us to release that thwarted energy that sometimes happens when we don't get to complete that response in the initial experience or in the initial trauma. So it really focuses on those fight, flight, freeze responses, that self-protective thing that comes up. And the idea is that often in trauma, those get thwarted. And so we don't get to complete them. And then that energy gets stored in the body. And that's what gives us the issues and the problems that we get. Because the idea with somatic experiencing too, is that if we are able to complete the response, sometimes we store less trauma in it because that energy isn't in there and your response didn't get thwarted. And so when it does, the other part of that is it tends to affect our nervous system and our nervous system to get off balance. And that healthy like rhythm and flow that we would like to see between parasympathetic and sympathetic also gets disrupted. So sometimes what that might look like is somebody gets stuck in their sympathetic nervous system as a result of what we just talked about. And so it's like being stuck on and what that looks like might be anxiety, panic, being hypervigilant, sleeplessness, rage chronic pain, stuff like that. And then on the other side of that, if you get stuck in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is like being stuck off, that might look like depression and disconnection, dissociation, chronic pain, poor digestion again. So we're looking at how experiencing traumatic things affects the body and what happens there and how when we had those overwhelming experiences, how it unbalanced the nervous system. And with somatic experiencing, we're able to access that body memory and then go in there and create some healing in the nervous system and get that healthy flow, that healthy balance back that we want. So we don't have those experiences of being stuck on or stuck off. Can you give us an example of how this energy is disrupted? Give us a a specific example of how this energy is thwarted. One of the examples we got in our training years ago stuck with me just because it made so much sense. The example they gave was There was a school bus of kids. I think it was in another country. Now I just can't remember. And the school bus had an accident and it was pretty bad. I think the bus was maybe on its side or something. And some of the kids sprung into action. They got up, they found a way out. They were helping other kids out. They were getting themselves out. And those kids, when they went back and did some research on it, stored very little, if any, trauma. Like they seemed to be pretty okay. Maybe they had a little bit from it, but it just... In comparison to the kids that froze, they just stayed there and froze. 
in comparison to them, though kids that froze had significantly more symptoms of trauma. And the idea with somatic experiencing is that the kids that got to spring into action and get out or help other kids out, that fight, flight, freeze for, in that case, probably flight, it didn't get thwarted. They got to complete it, right? The body needed to move, run, get out. It did. For the kids that froze, the body still needed to complete that response. It just didn't get to. And now we have that thwarted response and that energy stored in the body. And the idea is, like we said, that's where we get the symptoms of trauma when that's in there. So if you think about different experiences like that, often with if childhood trauma is part of your history, often as kids, we don't get to complete those responses. It's just not an option. And the same is true with adults. I know that often when I get somebody who maybe has experienced a sexual assault and didn't fight back. They have a really hard time with that and they tend to want to beat themselves up like I should have fought back or whatever. So I think what's important there is that we have to trust the wisdom of the body. In that moment, that person's body said freeze. And I really try to teach people that if that is what your body said was going to keep you safest, we just have to trust that. So trust that your body knew what was going to keep you safe. And so to not judge or shame or criticize that at all. And that fight energy is still in there. That urge to fight did get thwarted. And so we want to allow the body a way to process that and to move it out of there. So those are some of what it might look like in real life. Yeah, thank you. That's very helpful. So can I ask a question about that? So I'm just trying to relate this to maybe like betrayal trauma in an instance where maybe you're in a conversation that you don't want to be in. And you're frozen and you're just sitting there taking the abuse, I guess you would say, taking the mm-hmm. the gaslighting and the things of that nature. Is the completion of that kind of being able to speak or being able to leave or how would you take that and shift that in somatic experience? Okay, so that's what the process would look like then. And perfect example for your audience because... Sometimes when we're in that, and especially if we have any learning, there's just a shutdown that will occur if you're in gaslighting or any of that verbal emotional abuse. And then often if you attempt to have a voice or speak, your person might just get bigger. And so you still end up in shutdown before maybe learning and practice. So there's absolutely a need there and a response there. And it's not in I don't know where this falls in. I don't like there's fight, flight, freeze. And I'm sure it's wired into one of those. But in my experience and what I see a lot, that thwarted response sometimes is like voice, right? To say something, to have that assertiveness and that that power there to take care of you. So sometimes when I'm working this, that's almost the thwarted response. So I'm not quite sure where that wires in, but that is my experience with that. So when we're working it, there's several ways that SE works that I could probably talk about and be pretty, make make sense and be clear. One of the ways that it works is we find, sometimes we'll just check in. Let's say you came in and you said, okay, yeah, that happened. And I just shut down. I didn't get to move, talk, walk, nothing. One of the basic ways we'll start is we'll just find where are you holding that in your body? So you'll sit there, connect back to your body, and we'll find it. Where is it sitting? And that might look like my chest is tight or my stomach hurts or my shoulders are heavy. We just find where in that moment it's sitting, where you're holding it. One of the things that is a process of SE is to find a spot in your body that feels better than where you're holding that. And there's this like just going back and forth from one spot to the other. And part of that process begins moving and shifting that energy. And it begins creating that healing in the nervous system that we're looking for. So that's a way that it might look. And that if you go do somatic experiencing, that might be part of the process that you experience is just finding where the heavy energy is, finding a place that feels better, and then back and forth, because it's a real gentle way to start moving and processing that big thwarted response. I have a question. Is it a difficult process or what process do you use to to teach clients to understand even where that energy is in their body? Because I would imagine that there are a lot of clients that come in and they have no clue what you're talking about. They're so disconnected from their body. And so what is the process that you go through to help explain to them what they might be looking at or feeling? 
Yes, that would go back to the work that we do in preparation to do this deeper level work, right? Because this is deeper level work. And so the preparation work of practicing connection to self, practicing mindfulness, really increasing healthy coping skills and getting those implemented consistently out there. All of that has to happen, same as it does with EMDR before we start dipping our toes into this deeper level work. And so along the way there, we've usually done some practice. Like we've, we talked about previously, we've identified checkout and we're aware of it and we're catching it and we're practicing the things that kind of bring us back to awareness. Now with SE, I do this in general, but it really does tie into this. We're trying to create healing in the nervous system. And if you're out there and you want to start practicing that, from what I've read in my experience, you have two best friends for that, really. And it's going to be yoga and meditation. And there's good research on yoga and meditation and how the changes in the brain that occur and the shifting in the body and in the nervous system that occur from those. That is something that we'll usually have some groundwork laid for also so that we're practicing out there, connecting back to the body. And we're practicing noticing what you notice and feeling what you feel. Because like you said, often people will come in and if I will say, where do you feel that in your body? They look at me like, what are you talking about right now? That is normal. So yes, we've got to do that prep work. And then on the flip side of that, surprisingly, when something is big like that, people are holding maybe some of that hoarded energy. Even if there's a disconnect, surprisingly, if I ask them, where are you holding that? You know, that what happened last night and that thing you just said, they find it. It's impressive that even when there maybe is disconnect and we've got a lot of prep work to do, sometimes that big, heavy stuff, they'll know, they'll answer quick. Like it's in my chest or it's in my stomach or it's in my head. So that is the cool piece of that work too. I love that. So you talked a little bit here about what kind of preparation is needed. Is there anything more that in terms of prep work and the process of engaging in this therapy? There's a lot. And Sometimes we fine tune it based on what your stuff is, right? Like who's sitting across from me. So maybe let's just fine tune some of the things that we might do if it's betrayal trauma. In addition to what we just said, as far as getting some practice out there, that's connecting you back, decreasing checkout, really increasing healthy coping and and having those show up consistently. That rhythm of, I feel an emotion and I know what to do to take care of myself. These are basic. Pretty much everyone's going to get that. When I feel mad, this is what I do to take care of myself. When I feel sad, this is what I do to take care of myself. And we want variety and a lot, like we talked about too, as far as you got to have tools for it. If you're at work, if you're driving, if you're at home, things that we can plug in. And it might be as simple as I felt stressed and I did a breathing exercise. Fine. We just need that rhythm showing up. And sometimes they're bigger tools and it's going to take more time. So those are basics. If we're maybe being more specific to betrayal trauma, we're going to be super mindful of that prep work that is voice work. That is the assertiveness stuff that you do get to practice and you know how to take care of yourself and all those various moments that might be showing up for you. Boundary work. For sure, we're nailing that down before, or at least it's being practiced, right? Like we're not looking for perfection before we can do deeper level work, but it's in your awareness and you know how to show up with healthy boundaries, how to set and hold them. It's one thing to set them. It's another thing to hold them. And that's its own process. And then sometimes we have to change them. So do we know how to do that? I really like to have the client clear on the difference between sobriety and recovery for their partner. And I like them to be clear on what work looks like so that they can clearly identify my partner is working. My partner is not working. I think that is important too. We'll talk about things. Maybe let's go back to the difference between sobriety and recovery. Sobriety is I'm not acting out, right? Like check, I'm not acting out. Sometimes in recovery work, when I get people, they think that's it. Just stop the acting out and I'm done and and that's it. I just have to maintain that. The problem with that is that's not necessarily recovery, right? You guys know this stuff. So we recovery is all those behaviors that go with addiction. Like you said, Naomi, the gaslighting or the verbal emotional abuse, or maybe just the selfishness pattern of behavior. 
that's recovery. Do we have those under control? Are we aware of those? Are those decreasing? Are we plugging in more emotional maturity versus emotional immaturity? That is really important because I think that's important to the the trade person's work, that they can identify that their partner is in recovery and not just not acting out. Because for the betrayed, that has to happen. Otherwise, not a whole lot changed for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I'm going to do. And then we're going to be clear on some ways based on their situation, what this is going to be a little different for everybody, but sometimes the same too, what it looks like when my person is working. I think this is good to bring up too, because when I see different recovery programs or even books, all kinds of stuff, I feel like there's often a piece missing in like the addict's part in the betrayed's recovery. And this is a place where we can nail down what it looks like when my person is working. And it can be as simple as, let's say you're triggered and you go to your person and say, hey, that was really triggering for me. Working is going to look like, it's a script almost, right? I'm sorry. That's my fault. What do you need? What can I do for you? We can make it that simple, right? Not working is going to be, hey, that was really triggering for me. And you get defensive uh, or reactive or any of that kind of stuff. You might get the minimizing, justifying, rationalizing, whatever the ABC is that maybe that individual goes to. I like to have that very clear because every time the addict can show up and say, I'm sorry, that's my fault. What do you need? What can I do for you in this moment? There is so much healing in that 10 second exchange. And if we can have that happening regularly and consistently, we just get so much repair to safety and trust. And the opposite is true, right? If you show up with a need or something that says, hey, that really hurt my feelings or that was triggering for me, and you get that defensiveness or that reactiveness, man, that just slingshots you back, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like that's just a natural response. When you're validated by anybody for the way that you're feeling, it, it comes down to what you're saying is validation. I understand why you're feeling that way. I'm sorry that I caused that. What can I do to help you? Versus why would you feel that way? Why can't you just let it go? That was the past. That's totally, completely opposite ends of the spectrum and so indicative of recovery for sure. Yes. So for this specific work, it's those things that you just described that we just talked about. I want them to know the difference. I think the betrayed really needs to know the difference between sobriety and recovery because you're going along for that roller coaster ride otherwise. And we want to get off the roller coaster. Nobody, we don't want to be on that ride. Oh no. That's going to be super clear. And then your partner's work, the addict's work in your recovery, I think is so important because I want those to be showing up. And when we've named it and we've identified it, you get to see it and then really experience the mending that can happen in that. So we need that. And I think the more we talk about that and the more that the addicts get to learn that and implement it, the better. Because they're looking for the same outcome and end result as the betrayed are if you're on the same page. And sometimes they end up spinning their wheels a little bit because they don't know that work and what it looks like to show up that way as far as meeting your needs and creating the mending and the healing and safety and trust. I don't know if you guys talk about much or use him much, but Dr. Doug Weiss, I think the website you can go to is actually drdougweiss.com also. He's got a good... It's a DVD set. It's called Helping Her Heal. Do you guys use that at all or have watched it? We do. We recommended it. Yeah, I think he does a great job of explaining some of that stuff too. And I love that he literally gives them a script to work off of as far as how to show up. That's a good resource, I think, for anybody that hasn't watched that already. Yeah, it is really powerful. And then if we're talking about trauma work, there's a, a good amount of research that says addiction is a symptom of trauma. So as the betrayed's looking at doing trauma work and resolving some of those issues and doing that deeper level work. I think the same is useful for the other side of that because addiction is often a symptom of trauma and it's a way that people found to, you know, survive. And it's a coping skill. They learn to plug in. It doesn't actually take care of them, but sometimes people just grab what they got. So I think it's just as useful for the addicts to be having this information and being able to implement this deeper level work as well. I agree. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love how I think it's Jeff Stewart that says it's an emotional coping mechanism because they yeah. struggle with emotion, which is what this EMDR and somatic experiencing is is focusing in on is those emotions and where they're stored and how to actually process those. Yes. Makes and we sense. also know when people experience trauma, often they have a hard time with affect regulation. So when a big emotion comes up, they really have a hard time shifting emotional states or taking care of themselves in that emotion, which sometimes drives those addictive behaviors as well. The EMDR and the somatic experiencing really does let us get in there and do that deeper level work. And it lets us look at trauma in a, a different way where trauma is not a cognitive deficit. And talking and coping skills, they're just not enough to process and work with trauma. We talked a little bit about the thinking part of the brain doesn't have access to the emotional part of the brain. And so language is not going to change that trauma-based limbic system, which SE is working with. Uh, and so we can see the need for implementing some of these different treatment modalities to get full recovery on some of the things that we're looking at as far as resolving the traumatic experience and then allowing you to plug in all the, the coping and the healthy tools and things that we learn also more effectively and more successfully. And then for the addicts, it, it creates a space for them to step out of the acting out behavior more successfully and effectively. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So what can I expect during a session? SE is unique in that it was designed specifically with a traumatized nervous system in mind. And so with somatic experiencing, it really is a very gentle and slow and manageable way to work stuff, which is one thing I love about it. It really does let us just find that person's window of tolerance and just dip in and out of it so that they're able to reprocess that experience without re-traumatizing them. And so that's one of the things that I love about it. And Something else I love about it is a lot of it can be done in somebody's imagination. It's like in their mind. So for example, if someone comes in and they're just maybe sick to death about talking about what that experience is, maybe they've done a bunch of talk therapy and it's been unsuccessful and they're frustrated and they don't want to tell the whole story again. They don't have to. We can use SE to still work it without them having to like rehearse that entire story again, which I really appreciate and love about SE. And it's just gentle and it's slow. A lot of it is done with imagination. For example, if maybe we were working and we notice in part of their work that maybe thwarted fight response. When I see that and that's what's coming up next, it can be as simple as we're going to sit there and imagine fighting. And the brain and the body really get to choose, like, how do you want to imagine fighting? It might be as simple as you're on a punching bag or maybe you're a giant knocking down skyscrapers. If I'm doing it with a kid. We might say you have on whole cans and you're knocking down on the block walls <laughs> and the fence or in the, in the neighborhood. So you really get to let the body choose how it wants to fight in this example. And then you imagine it until you feel done with all the detail, everything that you would feel and all the sensations. And sometimes that's part of completing that thwarted fight response. So in that process in imagining, are they telling you or are they just thinking it through? Do they go and say, I'm smashing everything in sight? Are they saying those things as they're doing them or is it all in their head? They're just imagining it. So I usually set that up a little bit before we go in. I try to let them know, take your time because we're sitting here. It's quiet. I think sometimes people feel pressured, like they have to get done in 30 seconds with their imagining. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell them like, I don't care if it takes 30 seconds or three minutes. I just want you to imagine fighting until you feel done. And then I will tell them too, if you disconnect from it, if you start to imagine fighting and now you're thinking about your to-do list, tell me, I don't want you sitting in that, but if you can hold it, you're just going to imagine it till you feel done. If you feel you disconnect from it, tell me, cause we're going to come back and reconnect. But other than that, they're just going to imagine it. It's going to be in their head and they're going to imagine it through until they feel done. So this is one of the things that differentiates itself from the EMDR therapy is because that imagining is not necessarily happening. Not that way, not directly connected to those thwarted fight, flight, freeze responses. EMDR does use a little imagining with, with the reparative work sometimes in that, for example, 
if we're working a childhood trauma and we're, for me, in my experience, usually it's maybe towards the completion of that. Or sometimes if they get stuck and need help, sometimes we'll imagine their adult self in that moment. And we really try to connect the kid self to the adult self because there is some good repair and good processing work in that. So there's a little bit of imagining in EMDR with SE. It's just very specific. The work is connected to those, the fight, flight, freeze responses. Of a specific incident. Yes. I would imagine the duration of therapy for a client would vary as it would EMDR because there's just probably lots of things that your body needs to work through, but how do you know when you're done? A lot of the times, I think this would be true for both modalities is we collect the things that we know you want to work. Everybody has their experiences that maybe stand out to them as overwhelming or traumatic. And so we, we collect those things, what we might want to work and we start that work. Uh, the other way is often people will just come in with the trigger, like this happened and it triggered me. Sometimes we know what that's connected to. Sometimes we don't, but we can work the trigger all the same. And so that can be a way to start gauging, am I getting done? You're just not getting triggered so much out there. Like things are happening that maybe previously were a trigger for you and now they're not, or they're just really um, flat when it happens. Does it just come second nature then for the individual to work through the trigger then? Or is it a conscious effort? I think what that was related to is hopefully we've done the deeper level work. So the triggers just aren't firing like they were before. Okay. Like the energy that fueled that triggered, it's just not there anymore. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Somatic experiencing. I also love a piece of this in that some of the learning you get when we're processing, you can use out there on your own. Part of the, the learning you get when you're using SE almost gets to get plugged in like tools. I remember when I was learning it and I was actually doing it with a therapist also, we were at a Vegas Phantom of the Opera, like a show, which I've never seen that. And maybe it just happens all the time. The scenery like started moving from behind like big objects and there was just a whole bunch going on. And it kicked up a little anxiety for me, a little panic for me. And I was learning SD and learning about how we can focus on a calm spot of the body. And when we focus on that, it'll shift and move. What for me in that moment was anxiety, maybe panic and create that balance back in the nervous system. So that happened in that show. And I just went right to where's a calm spot in my body. Or not even calm. It's where's the spot that feels better. So if I'm holding the anxiety in my chest, where's the spot that feels better than my chest? I think it was my legs. And I just focused on that. And then there's kind of an A, B, and C of doing that, which allowed me to shift that energy right out within a few minutes. Interesting. I remember when we were talking with Kara last year about her experience with Essie, she gave a very specific, very vulnerable example of how she was able to process the energy or the situation that had come up in her life. And I just thought it was so um, impressive that she had these wonderful tools to be able to work through a very traumatic experience that happened in their family. I'm wondering too, I noticed that a lot more often when I am speaking to a church leader and explaining, telling my story to a man, a lot of anxiety. Like I get really cold. My heart's beating fast. Like I've been wrapped up in like the warmest coat and I'm freezing cold and I'm almost shaking telling my story. And so in that kind of a situation, but I could tell my story to women and that doesn't happen. And so is that something that somatic experiencing could help? Or is that just something that's just happening because of the situation you're in? Or how does that relate? Or does it even? It totally does. We could absolutely work something like that with SE, with the body. You could also EMDR that, you know, we could work that both ways, which would probably be awesome for you. The interesting piece with the body is the body doesn't forget. So when the body experiences something, it does not forget it. Our brains will forget, right? Like we forget stuff in our brain. Not that it doesn't affect us, but we we don't remember stuff. Body memory is not like that. It doesn't forget, it remembers. And so for you, when you're in that setting, trying to tell your story across from a man, 
your body's getting activated. It's telling you something. It's telling you, I don't like this, right? Something isn't right. I'm uncomfortable, whatever it might be. And so to be able to go in there and let the body work that experience would be very helpful. I think there's also stuff that would be in our prep work that we could plug in for moments like that. When we're going into something that you already know is going to be difficult, it's about how your body responds in those moments, is to be sure that you've plugged in really well. The analogy that I give everybody I see, anyone in my office knows what their balloon is. And so do all the LACs that I work with. That's my visual for We've got air going into our balloon. Everybody has their own balloon and we have air going into that all day, every day. It can be as simple as the alarm goes off to get up in the morning, to traffic, to kids, to whatever the tasks are, the stressors are. It just puts air in every day. We don't have to try for that. It's going to happen. What we have to get really good at is how do you let air out of your balloon every day? That's going to be your healthy coping, your tools, because when we're walking around with our balloon full, we are way more likely to have whatever symptoms show up for us whether it's depression or anxiety or panic or having that kind of reaction that you just talked about. So the idea is in general, we have to get really good at letting air out of our balloon every day. So it might be, I felt a little stressed, air in, I did a breathing exercise, air out. We want that rhythm of keeping our balloons small with air in, air out versus air in all day long. And then I felt terrible at the end of the day, how I exploded or whatever's (laughs) going to happen for us. Some people will explode. Some people will have that anger. Some people will just shut down. Other people are going to experience that like dip in mood and feel depressed. So we want to avoid that. And the way that we do that is being aware and mindful that all day long, every day you're doing something. And again, that's why we have to have variety because we can't, even if I'm working with a teenager, we can't say when you get home from school, then you can let air out of the balloon. Like that doesn't work. You're in school for seven, eight hours, who knows how long. So we'll sometimes wire that into their day because I feel like when we wire air out of your balloon stuff or healthy coping tools, however you want to look at it into your day, you're more successful. So we'll do something as simple as every time the bell rings, you're going to do a breathing exercise. And when you're walking from class to class, you're going to mindfully walk, which just means bring in all of your senses. What do you see, feel, hear, smell while you're walking? Uh, And so I think as uh, adults, kids, whatever, we have to almost wire that into our day. In addition to just being mindful to have that rhythm of emotion, I feel an emotion and I plug in a tool so that we're able to keep our balloons empty. So all of that to say, if you're going to go in and have that experience, you're going to be mindful and aware that you go into that experience with your balloon empty versus I'm going to go into this really hard thing that I know is hard for me or stressful for me or anxiety provoking for me with my balloon like full, because then we make that hard experience harder because we went in with no room for any more stressors to go in. So I think that helps us, right? To be aware and to have that when you're going to go do something that's going to be challenging in some way to prepare for it and make sure your balloon's empty when you step into that moment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I certainly have work to do there. (laughs) So in terms of duration, because we talked about this with EMDR, once you do it, it goes away, it's gone. How does that translate to somatic experiencing for duration of therapy? Same thing. It's really hard to predict or or throw out a general. I'd probably say the same thing for SD that we did for EMDR. Kind of plan on that six months to a year. I think with the body, like when we move something with EMDR and you've processed that experience, you don't have to go back to it. It's we got it over to Healthy Memory Networks. That's where it stays. When we're talking about body work, I think when we we have processed that thing that the the thwarted survival energy we've worked it and it's moved and it's out like it's not going to come back but our body is out there experiencing all these different emotions and situations throughout the day and in my experience that balancing back of the nervous system and taking care of the body that has to be pretty regular and consistent work which where we would go back to your breathing exercises and yoga and meditation, those things are called practices for a reason, because I think we don't stop them. Mm -hmm. If you play an instrument, you're going to practice it. What happens if you don't practice it for a year? And I think that's why it's called that, because we have to be plugging those things in and practicing them daily to maintain that kind of balance that we want in the body and in the brain. Yeah, that makes sense. I see both of these therapies as being so beneficial, but yet there are very few 
therapists that I have found out there that are trained in both. So how would you know which one to to gravitate towards if you haven't found a therapist that does both? Would you find a therapist that does EMDR and somatic experiencing? Or how would you know which one would be most beneficial for you? They're both going to be so beneficial. If in your area you only had one or the other, go see them. Either? Yes. Go see the one that only does EMDR or maybe only does somatic experiencing. Let's say in your area, you can only find an EMDR therapist. Then go do that because the benefit's going to be great. We're still going to get that deeper level work. And you can start plugging in maybe just for your own well-being stuff that you can do on your own that's going to balance the nervous system and create a space for you to have those benefits with like the yoga, yoga meditation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the research on both of those, yoga and meditation, you you can get the benefits of that within minutes. So if your brain tries to tell you, I don't have 30 minutes today, or I don't have an hour, I can't go do that. Okay, go do three minutes. Because three minutes of either, you're going to get some benefit from. So three minutes is better than no minutes. If that's what you got, go do that. And they're both just so beneficial. I, I like having the education and the awareness of the body in trauma work. I think that is a huge asset and benefit, whether I'm doing EMDR or SE. If you can't find that in your place, still go get deeper level work with what you can find. So if that's EMDR, go do that because you're going to create all that balance, right? We're going to pull all those roots, all that fuel for the fire, for the triggers, for the emotions. You're going to get to lessen and your life is going to be easier to manage and easier to plug in the tools and coping and, and stay healthier. So I would say whatever you have access to, do that. And is there a time that, for example, if you did find somebody that did both, would both be like implemented in somebody's healing? Do you do that? Do you do both with one person? Yes, often we will. Like different sessions will be different treatment modalities. So yes, that is very um, common for me to have a person experience both in different, different sessions for sure. You're saying if there's only one, definitely get whatever you can get. But if you have access to both, that would just take you to the next level. I think you just get both pieces. And EMDR is not lacking in being uh, informed of the body. After EMDR uh, a processing, there is a body scan. So there is some work there and some connection to body and some awareness there, which is great. Tell me your question again. Yeah, I was just saying that if you can get one, one is great, but is t is getting both of them like even more beneficial than just getting one or the other? I think so. I've done both. I've experienced both. If I could choose to have both, I certainly would. And maybe that means different therapists in your area. I like both. I really do. I love what EMDR does as far as using the brain to process. And I love what SD does using the body to process. And I think for the client, having awareness of both is really great. And anytime we're increasing body awareness and body connection, you're just so much more prepared and able to take care of you because often it's the body that gives you the, the clue, the signal, your chest starts to hurt, your stomach starts to hurt. Sometimes your brain misses it. You didn't hear the thought of I'm stressed or that hurt my feelings or whatever it might be. And then when we have that connection to your body, sometimes that's a really good source of information. And I like that it lends itself to intuition also, uh, being able to be intuitive and have that accurate. The body just gives us really great information that way. And from what it sounds like, it's a process of learning to trust yourself again, to trust that intuition again. Because I think so many times in betrayal, you second guess. The gaslighting makes you feel like you don't know what's going on. And so it sounds like these two modalities really help to pull you back in and help you recenter on trusting your own intuition again. So true. Yes. And I think that, and your listeners might want to file this away. I think your intuition was on the whole time. Your body was speaking to you the whole time. You were just getting words back saying that it was wrong, like you said. I think that's important to really file away because your body's giving you the information. And I think as part of recovery, exactly what you said, we want to listen to it and trust it. 
because I think often the body gives you the information and then our brain comes in and messes it all up. The body will say, this doesn't feel right. Their body will say, it might just say, I feel anxious. And sometimes the brain comes in with, why do you feel anxious? You have no reason to be feeling anxious. What's wrong with you? Did you feel anxious? Stop feeling anxious, right? <laughs> yes. So if the body gives you the information and then your brain will come in and mess it all up, which that little thing I just described, that is your perfect recipe for being stuck in that emotion. Body says, I feel this brain comes in and starts all the judgment, criticizing, critiquing, maybe even shaming, rationalizing, judging. Yeah. Yes. That will get you stuck in that emotion. And what it will also do is your body will be like, okay. And it'll take that maybe level four anxiety, crank it to an eight. Cause you didn't listen. So <laughs> body's okay. I'll just, I'll scream at you then if you're not going to listen. <laughs> oh, yes. So part of that uh, intuition, part of that body awareness is that when you feel let's say anxious in this example, we get your brain just to say, it's fine. I feel anxious. I have a right to my emotions and then go take care of yourself in it. And we avoid that conflict for one thing, which is exhausting. And we avoid that getting stuck in it because your body's telling you something, your brain's saying, no, -uh." if we can just notice, I feel anxious. If our brain can just say, it's fine. I feel anxious. You have a right to your emotion. What am I going to do to take care of myself in that? Off you go. Otherwise, I feel like you felt all these things throughout the week, throughout the day, and they just layer and compress and compound in there till probably you feel like you're going to lose your mind. You get to acknowledge it, move through it, and then you're on the other side of it. I find myself often thinking, like you're, exactly what you're talking about. My brain's like, why do you feel that way? What is making you? And then I have to, I don't know why, but I am like, that's, and, and I need to take a break from whatever it is that's making me feel this way. So I need to just go and I can't even explain it. I don't have words to explain why I feel like I need a break, but I need a break. So is it necessarily important to get to the root of that feeling? No, I actually love that you guys brought that up because when I'm teaching people to do that, why is not part of the equation. Okay. We're taking why and kicking it right out the door because your body's feeling it and your body doesn't care why it's feeling anxious. That's all your body needs to know. That's what your body's telling you. So why is not part of the acknowledging? I feel this. It's okay that I feel it. What am I going to do to take care of myself in it? There is no why in that whole process, because just like you said, a lot of the times we're not going to know why. And if we get stuck in the why and figuring it out, you're just going to hamster wheel. And then we didn't take care of you because we spent 20 minutes building the anxiety, trying to figure out why. I think sometimes I can get to the why, but it takes so much more time probably than, than this process. Yeah. I was just going to say, is there a time after and this is my thought processes, and this is what I've experienced myself is when I am feeling this way. And I am in that place where I'm like, I don't know why I feel this way, but I need a break. And then I take that break and it gives me time to think about why was I feeling like I needed a break? So is that kind of where the why can come in after you've listened to your body, taken the time that you needed, and then you can figure out once you've calmed down, what is it that brought me here? Yeah, that's so funny. That's exactly what I was going to say. We both started talking at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because if you think about what we talked about last time, how that rational, logical thinking part of your brain goes offline and all we got is we're just in the emotion and you're trying to figure out why. And that part of your brain is like sleeping on you almost. Mm -hmm. So when you go take that break, what happens is big emotion comes down, thinking logical part of your brain comes back and you probably figure out what the why is, if that's a need for you. Sometimes it's not. And if it is, yes, that what you just described is going to be way more successful at figuring it out if that is a need for you to to figure out the why. And sometimes we need the why, like you said, Janine, and sometimes that's, it reveals work to us and things that we need to process maybe or be aware of. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes you just need to go take care of yourself and that emotion and off you go. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? When we were talking about some of the work of your partner and how all that shows up, you guys might want to throw in there, especially if you're already using Dr. Doug Weiss, is Emotional Fitness. Do you guys use that book? I have not heard of that book before. I've just heard of his video. Okay, it's like 30 days to emotional fitness. Maybe it's 60 days. I think it's 30 days to emotional fitness is what it's called. 
if you go to his podcast is love and sex today did you guys use that at all okay he's got that podcast he did quite a few and they're super good and i love them because they're all like 12 minutes 15 minutes it's this really quick download of really good relationship stuff and so that book i think it's 30 days to emotional fitness it talks about emotional internalizer and emotional externalizer and if you go to his podcast, he has a podcast, one for emotional internalizer, one for emotional externalizer. And I think that just plays in really well with betrayal, trauma, and recovery work because one is showing up in an emotional mature way. One is showing up in an emotional mature, so immature and mature. And it's just clearly laid out and you get to have this baseline for how am I showing up? How is my partner showing up? Was that in the mature space? Was that in the immature space? It lends itself really well to recovery work for both people involved. And it gives you a marker for seeing how your person is showing up. I think like we talked about the other day, we need those markers that says, this is work, this is not work. This is emotional maturity, this is not emotional maturity. Or this is gaslighting or this is abusive because then you don't get on the roller coaster. You just get to be like, oh, I know what that is. And you're able to step out of it and, yeah, and you don't have to get on that ride. <laughs> yeah. You don't got to get spun and spit out and you don't even know what just happened sort of thing. I think the emotional maturity that he does maturity really is going to be helpful, like a helpful little tool and a quick download. Even if they just listen to the podcast, that will be something in addition to, if you feel like that's something you resonate with, you can grab the whole book. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah that was I'm the only other thought I had. That. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, that gives me one more podcast to add yeah. to my list of podcasts. But no, that's awesome. I hadn't heard about that. So. Yeah, I hadn't either. I yeah, he good. does one that you're, you might want to share with whoever does the men's side of it. I hate the title of the podcast, but whatever, I didn't title it. It's called What Really Turns a Woman On. But what he's uh, talking about is how to show up for her uh, emotionally throughout the day. I think it gives them like five or six things, like one, two, three, four, five that they can do easy, quick, clear, that I think lends itself to creating those mending moments, those healing moments when your person can show up in those. And they're real simple. Like one of them is anticipate her needs. And the example he gives is his wife was late to her, I don't know, some kind of class. And he knows that she always likes to bring this drink. So he got up and made it for her and put it in the car for her. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> you see your reaction? It's such a simple thing. Why don't they get it? But you felt that as soon as you heard it, so did I. Like just that little thing, it goes so far. Yeah. And I think the more ideas that the addicts have, the better. We set them up to be successful that way. That would be another super good one to yeah, maybe pass along. You. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? My website is just randygraycounseling.com. And at the bottom, there's a place to click that you can leave a message. The email is the same. It's just randygraycounseling at gmail.com. Those are probably the easiest ways to remember. And then if you want to look at somatic experiencing, that is traumahealing.com. And then EMDR is just emdr.com, both where you can find the practitioners and clinicians. And then like you said earlier, Janine, there's lots of somatic therapies out there. And so if you're looking for this specific one, it really does need to say somatic experiencing and you will find people that do that on traumahealing.com. There's lots of others. I don't, I just don't know uh, them enough to speak to them. And somatic experiencing is the work of Peter Levine. And if your audience wants more reading, he's got lots of books. And then Vanderkolk has lots of books. The Body Keeps the Score is one of them. If you want to just educate yourself a little bit about some of this work. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because as I was researching for practitioner, I did notice that there was different language that was being used with the somatic um, therapy. It was often called rather than somatic experiencing. So I'm really glad that you let our listeners know that there is a difference between the two and that yes. the, the work associated with somatic experiencing is that of Peter Levine's. And we will also put links to the show notes regarding all those resources that you've mentioned and also your website. We so appreciate you joining us today. It's been great, very informative for myself 
And definitely our listeners, I think, will find great benefit in this discussion that we've had with you these last couple of episodes regarding trauma work. It's so important. One other thing I want to ask, this trauma work, is it possible to do it online? I know that uh, we're in some unusual circumstances, and usually this type of work is done in person, but is it effective online? Yes, we can. We are able to do some of this online. Both as somatic experiencing and EMDR? Yes. And do you find I, it that it's less effective or are you just in this space where this is the best we can do at this point? I like in office better for sure. Part of creating that healing is to do it in the presence of another person because a lot of times we experience these traumas without that. And so I, I like the part where someone else is in the room that you're connected with and that can be that empathetic witness that can validate in that way in person. And with SE, there's this whole idea of co-regulation and having that experience also. So if I get to choose, I'll have you in here. If it's such a case that online is our option, then it's doable. I think for me, I do a lot more prep work with it, a lot more just making sure the person's really grounded and is plugging in well and their healthy coping and tools and skills and that kind of thing. If that's the only option, then yeah, telehealth is happening in those ways because especially this last year, for a lot of people, that was the only option. So yeah. yes, it's available. Excellent. Yeah. I've noticed that it, at least in the area that I'm in, it's not even offered in person right now. It's done online. So I thought I'd ask you about that to see if it was even as effective. Yeah. Yeah, I think it can be. And I think if we're choosing between telehealth and no therapy, we're probably going to choose some telehealth and just do the best we can with it yeah. mm -hmm. for people when they're in those moments where they really do need it and want it. So are you able to offer in-person sessions right now in your area? Yeah, we are. We're able to do that. And I have a smaller practice. And so we're able to stagger appointments and work different days and do things so that often it's just one client in the waiting room at a time. So we've been able to do that, which has been really helpful. And for the listeners out there, you are in Arizona, right? Yes, I'm in Mesa, Arizona. Okay. So if there are any listeners in Arizona, look Randy up and schedule your session tomorrow. <laughs> because if you're anything like me, this has been something that is helped me to see that this is really helpful and will take your healing to the next level. So thank you again. I have just loved having this conversation with you and learning all about these two different modalities. So really appreciate your time and your knowledge. So thank you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed being here. I enjoyed talking with both of you. So thank you very much. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.